like um, in terms of the podcasting, not necessarily a question and answer. It's a flow anyway, so it doesn't super. Ah, I love it. But yeah, um, but yeah, 2020 has been every single month. It's gotten to the point where when the Pentagon releases a report saying we have vehicles, I don't know how they worded it, not of this world, and people don't even blink, my friend. <laughs> I'm convinced that it's just still March, you know, that it's, it's not August right now. I'm still living in March, 2020, because I refuse to, con, you know, be convinced that the, the, you know, the year is still going on. It's been, um, every single month has been, yeah, it's been crazy. And um, it's gotten to the point where, yeah, you, you don't flinch. I don't know why people don't flinch when some news like that drops. I don't know if people are like, do people just not believe it? Or is it? I don't know. It's huge. I mean, you know, I mean, I've been like getting into all those, you know, UFO documentary and, you know, uh, the conspiracy theory stuff with all that, you know, it's really fun to just get super stoned and then watch one of those shows late at night. Um, so now, now I'm all into it. It's wild. <laughs> you really? Yes. Man, you could dive into the rabbit hole this day. So even, even the term conspiracy theory doesn't even necessarily exist in 2020 because you can't tell me nothing True. that I don't believe like you with the whole, uh, like the whole Epstein, everything. That's so bizarre. In terms of, you know, the flight. Like you the, said. The flight, do, like the flight docket, when they showed all the names that went to that island, and then he committed, you know, he suicided himself or someone else helped him around. And then uh, just everything going on, and people are like, um, oh, yeah, you think the royal family's involved? And oh, of course. And it's like, I. I'm just reading the facts, though. Here, I'm. This is. It's, does it sound crazy? But it is crazy. Like, what do you? I want? think that's a thing. You know, the kind of like the overlying theme of 2020 is nothing surprising. No. You know, it's like, oh, all right, there it is. Not, you know, next thing you know, fucking dinosaurs are going to show up. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh well, you know, that's sure. just another thing added on the list. Of course, people see you working out. And they're like, you training for strongman or just 2020 survival? Okay, How, the strong survive. <laughs> The stronger, the stronger you are, the harder you, the harder you are At to kill. At this point, yeah, exactly. Right? Um, earlier this year, you had, so going over your resume, for anybody who isn't familiar, um, you've won the, the World Log Lift Championship. You've, you've broken American records. Um, you did a June 13th, which wasn't that long ago. Hit a 475, no. which for our friends in commie units is 216 kilo, I believe. Yeah. Um, I mean, made it to the world's strongest man several years in a row. Uh, you know, you, you've, you've, you've done a lot, but you're not the largest guy in the world. No, I'm one of the, uh, so I'm one of the smallest competitors. So, you know, standing at like five foot 10, um, right around 285 pounds is typically where I compete at. Um, you know, I got a little bigger for the log press event, knowing, uh, knowing that it was just, you know, such a static lift. Um, I got up to about 295 for that event. Um, so I was a little bit bigger than usual, but it paid off fortunately. And, uh, yeah, so, so I've been one of the smallest competitors every single year that I've competed at world's strongest man. And how is it? So if you, if you just, just look at the history of the log press event at the world's, uh, you had Zadrunas Savikas, who was just running it year after year. I think he won like five years in a row. It was every other year initially, but just run it. And Zadrunas was as, uh, now he's lost size, but he's an extremely large strongman at one point. Um, Eddie Hall, you know, you got, you got some very big fellas in the world. Because it's a static event. It's not necessarily athletic where you're, you're dragging and pulling or anything like that. Um, how do you attribute that you could make up so much when you're like five, eight, some of these fellas got a foot on you. 
Yeah, you know, um, yeah, you, you look at the haters that I get, um, you know, I get I get a lot of shit on social media for one being openly gay and uh, two for split jerking when it comes to log press. So, you know, a lot of <laughs> what is that? Is it like sumo deadlifting where they're like, that's not, that's not oh, cheating? Yeah, no, people tell me that it's not a real press. It shouldn't count. Um, you know, that's that's the beautiful thing about strongman, right? Like, you know, I did powerlifting for a few years when I was when I was first getting into strength sports and um I really wanted to get back to being super athletic. You know, I played high school sports. I got into strongman because of CrossFit and I loved doing the squat bench and deadlift, but I missed the dynamics of athletics. And that's what really drew me to strongman and having that background in CrossFit and, you know, being an athlete in high school really is what drew me to, you know, utilizing the split jerk in the log press. And, you know, going back to me being so small, you know, I took the record from Robert Oberst, um, who is, you know, six foot eight, over 420 pounds. Uh, he had the record at 465. I initially took the record back in 2019 uh, with a lift of 471, so for 214 kilos. And then this past June, upped it again to 475 or 216. And it really just comes down to, um, you know, I've really studied the sport of strongman, really studied the exercises and the lifts and made and adapted them to work for me. Uh, so, you know, like use, utilizing the split jerk uh, in, in max overhead events, you know, but I still have, you know, I still win most overhead events that I do, whether it be dumbbell or Viking press and stuff like that. Uh, with the deadlift, you know, I, I have a pretty decent hitch that I, that I kind of emulate from my coach, Derek Poundstone, that he kind of made famous back in the late 2000s. Um, so really just, you know, kind of tweaking things to work to my advantage to get me to this level that I'm at. I mean, if you look at Strongman, just like 10 years ago, I mean, I remember, uh, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, way back in the day in the 80s, Strongman was massive and you had all types, but it's, it's gone over some transitions. And I remember at one point, Canada, we're from, I'm from Canada, had Hugo Girard, early 2000s, and the Strongman at that point were early 300 pound body weight, and they were considered huge, but if you're 330 pounds, you weren't undersized. Uh, you know, Sven Carlson, those fellas, they was, yeah. I mean, worked with Mary Sputzanowski, who was, you know, won five times, and he was around 320, early 300s. So it, there became a shift at some point in Strongman. And all of a sudden, if you're in the early 300s, you are so undersized. And mass moves mass, you know, and it, it becomes, um, you know, I, how do you feel? I've had a couple Strongman on the podcast. And they've spoken on how just the weights, the implements get bigger and heavier. And they're not looking to, you know, let's just even it out and try to keep some smaller guys there. You are the one who has to adapt. The game won't adapt to you. It's not going to yeah. be, how do we keep guys like Rob in the game? So you have to adapt yourself. Obviously, the split jerk is one way of doing it. But do you feel like, like when you look around and you are, it's a David and Goliath matches all the time. Every single time. You know, I think... I think we really saw that transition from, you know, kind of your average looking strong man, like you mentioned, like the guys like Hugo, Marius, all those guys in like the early 2000s. I think the sweet spot for size was in that probably six foot one to six foot four range, looking in that 300 to 330 pound body weight. Um, then we saw a shift when guys like Terry Hollins came in, uh, guys like Sebastian Venta. 
Brian Shaw, when he first came in, you know, in that late 2000s, that 2008, 2009 era, we started to see that shift of these giants. Um, you know, that's when Thor was starting to get introduced into the big scene. Eddie Hall started coming in um, and we saw this explosion of size in the athletes. And, you know, that was at a time where I was just starting in the sport. You know, I was only 17 years old at that time in 2009. And so I never thought that I'd be doing, you know, and competing at this level. But I think, you know, what we've seen is we've actually, while the athletes are still that big, we've gotten away from that being the norm where you're seeing guys like Martins and Matius Kiliskowski, Oleski Novikov, myself, um, some of these smaller, you know, really athletic guys really excel in the sport. And even though the weights are getting stupid heavy, you know, I mean, you look at World's Strongest Man this past year, we had a... 1350 pound yoke um you know we have a 350 pound log press for reps and we're hitting like nine in a minute um deadlifting now if you're not pulling over 800 pounds for reps you're not even considered one of the top athletes um you know like you said we're just expected to adapt and get stronger and you know we're doing things people didn't think were humanly possible you know you look at strongman 10 years ago and they're like oh you know there's no way you know, the log press is going to be over 500 pounds. Well, now it is. And now we have three or four guys that are legitimately capable of doing that. Um, so really, it's just absolutely crazy to see the progression of the sport and see the athletes get more athletic, a little bit smaller, but also just getting stupid strong. Do, do you attribute that to essentially, because there, there was a period, I believe, like back when Bill Kazmar and those fellows were on, on TV, it was very popular. Um, and it's, there's been some ebb and flow in terms of popularity and in terms of how readily available it is for the masses. But when you have people like Eddie Hall, when he broke that deadlift world record, I remember being at work and people who knew that I lifted weights was involved in powerlifting, but had no, I didn't follow either of the strength sports were coming up to be like, did you see that dude broke that world record? And then of course, like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was there beside him and it was, became mainstream. You got... Um, Hathor Bjornsson on Game of Thrones, the the biggest television show going, and you got everyone knows. There's so many articles. Like the press came out, he's not he's a strongman competitor. He's a world you know world strongest man, whatever. So it just became, and then now these guys on social media, millions of followers, they're celebrities now. And yeah. it, it, do you think that's like, is it just the talent pool has has risen? I think it's. I think what you said. It's it. Training for strongman became more mainstream. Um, you know, even when I got into the sport, I was, you know, driving an hour each way just to get to a gym that had something that had strongman equipment in it. And um, whereas now, you know, most CrossFit gyms have some kind of strongman equipment in them. So strongman equipment itself is becoming a lot more easily accessible. And I think that also attributes to the success of strongman and seeing us grow in more popularity. Um, but I think, yeah, like making it more mainstream. And I think the interest in fitness has gotten a lot more uh, popular with CrossFit becoming so popular. Um, you know, having CrossFit utilize strongman implements helps strongman. You know, people are like, oh, they're using a yoke at the CrossFit Games. What's that? They, they YouTube search yoke walks and then they see us at World's Strongest Man you know, doing it with monster truck tires and it's 1300 pounds and that just grows the interest of the sport. So I think, you know, seeing CrossFit so wildly popular is helping grow these other niche strength sports. I, I know in sometimes in certain strength sports, CrossFit is like, you begrudgingly give respect to CrossFit to, to an extent, right? 
But you know how many people I've had on? I had the USAPL president on. I'm like, what do you attribute to? Because there's a massive boom in powerlifting as well um, in the last five years. And he's like, a huge thing. CrossFit puts a lot of barbells in a lot of people's hands. It's got to be said. It's true. And if you're initially, your initial goal wasn't strong, man, powerlifting, whatever, uh, Olympic lifting, you're getting a barbell in your hands. And like you said, once the barbell's in your hands, you're like, well, that's cool. What, what, else, what else we got? You start Googling, yeah. you start researching, finding people. You know, I mean, I started my career in Strongman because I started at a CrossFit gym. Um, and to this day, I still think the two most impressive athletes on the face of this earth are Matt Frazier and Tia Toomey. I mean, they are multiple games champions and they can do anything. You know, the fact that they can go run a 5K faster than most people and then also, you know, clean and jerk. You know, Matt's clean and jerking almost 400 pounds. Tia Toomey is clean and jerking almost 300 pounds. It's just insane what they can do. So I think, like you said, you know, they're bringing a lot of people into their gyms. They're getting barbells into their hands and showing them that exercise is one, a lot of fun. And there's a whole world inside strength sports that most people don't get you know, exposure to until they get into an arena like that. Mm. When you started doing CrossFit and you start Googling, Googling and looking up, you know, different, different events and be like, wow, okay. I didn't realize this was a possibility, but it's so strong means difficult because the barriers of entry, a large extent is how large you are. And it's pretty daunting. Most people, even if it'll never happen, when you start squatting, you start picturing yourself, if I was at the world championships with powerlifting, you know, you just, even if it's just yourself, you would never tell your friends because you're embarrassed to tell your goals. You're laying down in bed at night, put your head on your pillow and you're like, wouldn't that be just amazing? You, you yeah. got called up, Rob, you know, last minute replacement, you made the team, you got America across your chest and you're at the world championships. But when it's strong, man, and you first start looking at it, would you, what was your thoughts? Was there someone that you identified with who was smaller or were you just like, what was your thoughts? You know, for me, um, I, I got thrown into my first strongman contest, uh, you know, just kind of got thrown into the fire. So training at a CrossFit gym, you know, I found out really quickly that I sucked at CrossFit, um, <laughs> but I was decently oh, strong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I was decently strong for a 17 year old kid that was in the gym. So you know, my, my knowledge of strongman was what most people was, you know, I saw it in ESPN and that's about it. Uh, walked into the gym one day, they're like, Oh, there's actually a strongman contest this weekend. And we signed you up for it. So I had never trained it. I had never picked up an implement, but I was like, all right, fuck it. Let's do it. Um, so I go to the contest. I was the youngest by like 10 or 11 years. I got my ass kicked, but I fell in love with the sport. Um, and that was my first exposure to the to strongman. And that's when I started doing some research and, you know, I was living in Connecticut at the time and that's where Derek Poundstone was from. So I kind of identified with him pretty quickly. Um, and he was like on the, okay, you know, he was shredded and jacked and, you know. Yeah, he's, he's impossibly shredded and jacked. It's insane. Yeah. He's like, I remember, and you were, when you first started getting in, was around his prime, around yeah. there. And he was like, I remember, he was like a Greek god. He was like something out of a comic book. Yeah, and he still pretty much looks like that. Is he? He's yeah. an asshole. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, Derek, Derek's my coach now, and I've been working with him for a little over two years, and he's become one of my closest friends, which is wild for me to think, you know, that as a 17-year-old, he was the one that I looked up to most and, you know, would go to train with him every once in a while, even back then. Um, and now he's, you know, a super close friend of mine and my coach, and we work together really closely. Uh, but yeah, you know, like, so getting in and finding him, you know, he was 
kind of in that sweet spot of size at in that late 2000s range like at you know it was right when Brian was coming in Thor was just coming in but you know Derek is six foot one was about 330 to 350 when he was competing and um you know I think that's kind of who I emulate and and try to like uh you know kind of what's the word I'm looking for um identified with you know when I was getting into the sport I was like you know well he's not the biggest guy but he works really hard and that's something that I can do too I know I can work really hard and get better at this sport you know when I started strongman my goal wasn't to get the world's strongest man because I didn't think I would be able to get there you know here I am a 17 year old kid that's chubby not that strong and really unathletic um <laughs> I just got into the <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> that's a hell of a sound bite <laughs> it's the truth <laughs> you know, like I was, I was a mediocre football player. Um, you know, I wasn't a great baseball player. I couldn't really run that fast. I was an offensive lineman. I was a cheerleader just cause I was pretty strong in high school. So I could throw girls up in the air pretty far, but that was it. You know, I wasn't a standout athlete. Um, I just knew I could work really hard. And when I started the sport of strongman, I competed under 200 pounds, um, because I was a chubby 215. Um, and figured, well, I'd rather cut weight than compete against guys that are way stronger than me. And I sucked. I took dead last place in the first eight competitions I entered. Oh, wow. um, and for me, what I realized was I couldn't have these big lofty goals because I wouldn't follow through with anything. Um, so for me, it was making these super small, like attainable goals that I knew I could achieve. And that's what kept me in the sport for this long. You know, I've been doing it for 11 years at this point. And for me, it was okay. After my second or third contest, it was let's not take last place. That was my first goal that I ever got to in strongman. It wasn't hitting PRs. It wasn't weight on the bar. It was don't take last. And I did whatever I had to. And on my ninth contest, that's what I did. I didn't take last place. From there, it was let's not zero an event because every contest up until then I had zeroed at least one event at the show that happened on the, on the 14th contest from there. It was, let's get on the podium. Okay. Now we're rolling. We, we know how to compete. We've gotten our feet wet. And you know, that took, that took 18 competitions for me to get on the podium at a, at a show. Um, you know, and then I just kind of worked my way up from there. I ended up going to the national championship, um, jumped up from the 200 pound weight class to the 231 weight class. Um, you know, I, I won the national championship in 2013 uh, to become pro in the in the lightweight class. Competed there until 2016. Um, you know, was decently successful in that weight class. Took second place at America's Strongest Man 2014-2015. Uh, competed at Worlds in 2016, and that cut for Worlds in 2016 was the worst time of my life, and that was my aha moment where I realized I needed to jump up to the weight class, and, you know, fortunately, January 2017 was my heavyweight debut, and I won, a, I won that show and also got a wild card invite to World's Strongest Man that year. It's phenomenal that, like, you know, some people say, you know, when you're putting these goals into place, and the hardest part is the beginning. Like how many times I've, I've read, I think it was Ben Rice once put out, he's a power lifter and he said, you know, it took me 10 years for someone to tell me, oh, but you're just athletically, you got the genes. And that's how they, they fluffed it off. Only after 10 years did I start being told, but you, it's the genes and you're, you're, you're reaping yeah. the benefits of good genes. And that's the, I only get accused of good genes after 10 years of suffering and silence in the dark when no one was looking. When you hear, you know, stories like yourself being like, come in last, eight, eight in a row, don't lose enthusiasm, just keep showing up, keep coming yep. up to scratch. 
It's eight in a row and keep trying and, and, Dead and last. training. Yep. Dead last, man. There's no reason to keep coming. No encouragement. The family probably isn't even asking you how you're doing after a while. They just come home expecting last place. They're like, oh, he's got another last place contest this weekend. Your your mother's like telling your father, honey, just let him tell you. If he doesn't say anything, we don't bring it up. Maybe we just do that. We'll just just leave it. Leave it. He'll bring it up if he wants to talk about it. It's like that. We're... um, and then you start setting like the mini goals, you know, like I'm not going to scratch. And here's another thing, like, cause I do powerlifting, but I've seen strongman and you see how I thought about what it must feel like to not register the to, to scratch and come up with a no on one of the events and not get a single one. And you're just like, ah, it's, it, just to be, look at the crowd, like, ah, it's too heavy. Yeah. And then you've, you've I mean, that happened. Away. My first time at the national championship that happened, I zeroed an event at nationals. You know, I mean, so it's not uncommon for me. And, you know, talking about genetics and everything, I think the biggest compliment I've ever gotten in this sport um, was from a powerlifter, actually, Carlos Reyes. Um, He's been a really good friend of mine for a long time, super successful, 220 and 242 powerlifter. Um, The first, in 2017, the first year I made it to World's Strongest Man, he looked at me, he was like, you know what? You're probably the least genetically gifted person to ever get to World's Strongest Man. Because looking at me, I shouldn't be there. You know, I, like I said before, you know, I'm a, you know, walking down the street, you'll look at me and you're like, all right, that guy probably works out. He's pretty strong. You know, not realizing that, you know, I'm one of the top 10 strongest men in the world right now. Um, But you know, that, that when, when Carlos said that to me a few years ago, you know, that I'm the least genetically gifted person to ever get to this event, you know, that really hit me. I'm like, oh shit, you know, the hard work really paid off. And it took me eight years to get to nine years to get to world's strongest man. And and just the, it's the perseverance. That's why people love those stories. You know, it's far more relatable when someone's looking out there. Like, I don't look at, I love it. I love seeing everyone like seeing the freak genetic, like, seven foot 450 pounds with abs i get it you know it's it you see it, it's, it's like cool all, yeah it's cool however it's not relatable on any level you no know? you know and i to this day i've been doing this contest for i've been doing this sport for 11 years um i've won less than 10 competitions Holy in my entire career shit. my 11 years of competing and everything you've done competing. Everything I've done, every competition I've gone to, I've won less than 10 shows. It's just about, so you attribute to, basically, here's another thing, okay. I try telling people, so I've done a little motivational speaking as well, and I I tell kids, if anything else, if you were to throw yourself out there 10 times, just let's just do a round number 10 times, okay? And But it's not just small in the gym where no one's watching. You're going to have to throw yourself out there. 10 times doing something crazy and everyone has to be aware you're doing it and watch you 10 times. Everyone, you know, is going to be aware and everyone's watching. It's going to be shared on social media the whole night. And if I told you of those 10 times, seven of them were going to be failures. It's, it's, you did it or you didn't No in between. And you're going to fail seven times in front of everybody. It's going to be shared and we're all going to see it. And in terms of a win loss record, you're three and seven. Everyone, like everyone be like, fuck, that sounds shitty. Might. Now let me put some perspective. Sounds great to me. <laughs> well, well, this is it. So this is, if you put perspective on it, what if I told you those 10 things, all of them were things you never thought you'd be able to do when you started. They're all crazy over the top. You'd be happy if you even hit one. 
Well, that is actually probably closer to reality. As a matter of fact, it's probably even making it a little more glossy than it actually is. The percentage is yeah. probably lower. You probably try 10 times to get one, but it's 10 massive things. You're like, there's no fucking way I'm going to be able to do this. But if you, the thing is, if you fail four times, five times in a row, if you're losing a little enthusiasm, so when you come up to the plate on the sixth time, and you didn't train quite as hard because fuck it, I'm gonna come in last at this. Or you didn't, you just stopped investigating, how do I fix this one piece of my game? Because you're losing over and over and over and it's tough to keep the enthusiasm and you have to improve. And yeah. that's the real, that's the test. No one likes I mean, to hear that stuff. You know, when I got to this level in Strongman, 2017 was a crazy successful year for me. It was, you know, I won Giants Live North America that year. Um, the, week at, the week after that, I went actually up to the Canadian Log Press Championships, and I won that as a guest lifter. Um, so I just had a really great year. It was my first year at World's Strongest Man. Everything was rolling. Um, the last contest I won that year was in August of 2017. I didn't win another contest until March of 2019. Oh, so I went, you know, over almost, you know, what's that 18 to 20 months without winning um, a single show, you know, and March 2019 was the last time I won a contest. You know, I mean, I, you know, I do the American log press record. That's cool and everything. But as a full competition, um, I haven't won a full show since March 2019. But that's, you know, what it is at this level. You know, every contest I go to, I'm competing against between 10 and 15 of the strongest men in the world. So to win at that level at those shows, yeah. it's pretty damn good. Um, and for me, my goal is always just stay in top five. That's my goal. Be top five at every show you go to. Um, you know, that was my goal when I went to the Arnold Strongman Classic back in March, and I just barely missed it taking sixth. Um, you know, for me at World's Strongest Man, my goal has been to take the top 10. Um, I still haven't achieved either of those things. So those are still my goals now moving forward. And what do you, are the things that you've done to keep adjusting? Like there is a giveaway um, to adding size on. Like, are you, are you routinely the lightest lifter being under 300 pounds? Is there anyone else at your level under 300 pounds at 5'10"? Um, nobody's this short. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm always the shortest guy. Um, body weight wise, there's two guys that are close. There's Oleski Novikov from the Ukrainian, Kevin Fairs, who's from the U.S. Uh, both of those guys, like Oleski, like when we, in competition time, he's typically around 320, but he can be in that 300 pound range. And Kevin, he's typically on the lighter side in that 280 to 290 range, but he's about 6'1 to 6'2. Um, so he has a little bit of a height advantage there. Um, but I'm always the shortest guy at the shows. And it does it feel when you when you walk up there, are you over it? Are you like it almost helps like sometimes being underrated is underrated. Sometimes being when people aren't looking at your way, like Randy Couture, who was UFC champ and he was in his 40s, and he could win the he would win championships in his 40s, be the champion, and whoever he was defending against was the betting favorite. And people are like, Are you tired? of like you could be the world champion and people still are betting against you like you were never getting that respect and he's like you could look at it that way but you could also look at it this way i walk up to the competition i'm not supposed to be here you're supposed to win you care let him carry that you go late late lay a bed at night thinking i better win this i can't let this little guy whoop on me like that i can't let yeah. this happen and i'm going to bed at night being like if i just give a good show people are going to applaud me you know i shouldn't even be here yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I walk into every contest, right? You know, I, I, 
my my mindset every show is to have fun you know because i realize i shouldn't be doing this shit i shouldn't be competing at world's strongest man i shouldn't be at the arnold strongman classic the two biggest strongman competitions in the world uh competing you know i shouldn't be in england competing in front of twelve thousand people um you know, it just, it doesn't make sense that I'm doing this stuff. But you know, so for me, I just have fun. And when I have fun, that's when I compete the best because the stress is low. I have a good time um, and everything seems to work. What gets me though is when I take fan pictures and the fans are bigger than me. That's what annoys me. <laughs> people, people like, who's the strong man in this picture here? Yeah, I'm like, oh, cool. Another fan picture. You're six fucking four. Good for me. <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's humbling. It's humbling. Is it so? At some points, do you feel like almost like you're living the dream, and you're like, man, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's been going for a long time, but are you? Do you ever think about like at some point have you had injuries in terms of where this is going? Because strongman, you're still young. I mean, you're not even in your thirties, but strongman can pivot on a dime. We talked about oh. Hugo Gerard. Hugo Gerard, as a Canadian, he was it was really cool. Um, when you see someone from your nation, the U.S. is an exceptional because you guys kill every sport. But um, is it, when you're from a nation and you see a guy in your nation doing well on the world stage and you're like, go get him. And Hugo, he, at the time they had the Grand Prix and um, he had won the Grand Prix because he had, he had won the most that year in 2003. Uh, he didn't win World's Strongest Man. I think the highest he placed was fourth. But he was really riding high. And literally, I, I kid you not, it felt like in a year went from top four and winning enough of the Grand Prix to be at the end of 2003, the crowned the Super Series World Champion because he was he would be the reigning World's Strongest Man in some of those other Grand Prix events. From that guy to he was done. Like he got hurt and never really got back on track and was never a contender again. It's scary almost. But then you have guys yeah. like Zadrunas. Who, who just lasted forever. Yeah, you know, I mean, for me, I think it's definitely more in my mind, knowing that I'm a small guy, um, that everything needs to be perfect for me to be competing at this level. Mm. My training needs to be on point, um, you know, competitions, everything needs to line up well. So it, it's it, there's a lot of stress when it comes to that. I'm fortunate, you know, knock on wood, that I've only had one serious injury in this sport. You know, Giants Live 2018, I had an Atlas Stone fall on my chest, uh, broke some ribs, tore a muscle in my back uh, that took me out of commission for about six months. And, um, but, you know, coming back from that injury, the first contest back was the Arnold Australia, and I won that. So it kind of paid off in a way. And, you know, it's always something in the back of my mind. You know, I know that there, I think that's why I take advantage of, you know, I compete a lot. Uh, when there are competitions, I try to do everything I can. And I think it's because I know that there is a finite number of years that I can be competing at this level and doing this stuff. Mm. Um, so to me, I need to take advantage of that. And, you know, my biggest thing is, you know, we talked about it. Obviously, I'm not totally concerned with winning everything. Um, and, you know, obviously, I want to win, but it's not the main motivation for me. You know, for me, I want to leave a really positive legacy um, and have a great career and a great resume in this sport. I think um, another one of the best compliments I've gotten was from my husband is he said, you know, I'm like the next generation Laws, you know, Lawrence Chalet in the sport where, you know, he might not have won the most competitions, but he's, the, he's one of the most respected athletes across the sport. 
And that's the kind of legacy I want to leave um, is I want to be the people that the, the guy that people look up to that, you know, say, you know, he might not have won, but he worked his ass off and everybody loved him as a person. Um, and that's really the, the athlete I want to be remembered as. Yeah. And I mean, he, he was, he did win. I, th- I mean, he won Europe's strongest man and Britain's strongest man, but not the world, not the world, but I mean, the, the European championship is, is, I mean, it's as deep a field as you're going to get as well. You just don't have the Americans in there. But yeah, I mean, he had the big ones, but I know what you mean now. So he's, because of his personality and who he is, he can transition into commentating what he's doing now and make that transition because he's got that goodwill behind him. Do you see yourself sticking around like he did in transitioning, you know, into other things? Or do you think when you're done with this sport, I'm done? Oh, no, I'm totally going to stay involved. Um, You know, I love commentating. I love being on camera. You know, I always say, put a gay man behind the mic and magical things happen. Um, (laughs) 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 You know, so so I definitely want to stay involved. You know, I have given my heart and soul to this sport for the past 11 years. And I don't know if I could see my life without it. And, you know, whether that means stepping into a commentary role at the end of it, um, you know, I think I'll be involved in one way or another. It's, you're, you're a good story in that, I mean, obviously, sometimes it's stereotypes when it comes to strong man. And um, I think a lot of people would get discouraged and not even sign up. And the fact that, like, the, from where you started to where you ended up, even that you've gone up the different weight classes, because a lot of times people just think a strong man is the largest weight class. And yeah. they don't realize, you know, you could gradually grow up. Like, you are, like, the prototypical story of keep grinding, and here's a path that you could take. Yeah, you know, and I think that's the coolest part, right? And it's it's why, you know, I'm a pretty active member of the Facebook group Starting Strongman, um, because I was those people for a long time. You know, I I don't have the luxury of being huge. I don't have the luxury of being really strong automatically. You know, there are some people that are just gifted that way. Um, but I did the entire amateur circuit for a long time. I paid my dues and paid my entry fees and traveled all over the U.S. Um, you know, I didn't do my first international contest until I had been competing for seven years. You know, 2016 was the first time I did an international contest. Um, you know, so like I, I know the grind. I know what it's like to compete at the amateur ranks and have to go to nationals and do all the qualifying events. And, um, you know, I think that's why, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't know that about me. You know, I think they see me kind of in the spotlight now and they're just like, oh, you know, like he was just really strong. Um, he was just really good at the sport. And that's why he's at. I was like, you know, like we talked about, like I sucked for a long time. I wasn't good. Um, I worked my ass off to get to where I am today. And it took me eight years to get to world's strongest man. And I think that's something that a lot of people need to realize is, you know, strength sports is uh you know, hard and it hurts and it takes a long time to get good at it. But if you can take a step back and look at the bigger picture um, and say, okay, these are the things I need to work on. These are things I know I can do, you know, relatively soon. You know, once you hit those little goals, you, you kind of have these little like pick-me-ups and these exciting moments mm. that motivate you to keep going. You know, like I said before, you know, if you get into this sport and you have the ultimate goal of getting the world's strongest man and winning, it's really hard to get derailed and off track from that goal if you're not seeing immediate results. And you know, being in the strength sport world, immediate results are few and far between. You're going to eat shit a lot of the time. And I think if you're in the sport and you're working hard and you're like, okay, I didn't come in last that contest, 
that's an exciting moment and you should be proud of yourself and you should be happy. And then it's like, okay, where do I go to from here? What am I going to do next to get better in this sport? And I think having that mindset over the course of the years, it just ends up building up to you waking up and you're getting a call to compete at World's Strongest Man. It's, it's, I, I'm a, so I'm a huge boxing MMA fan, but I love, like a lot of times I read tons of their autobiographies, but a lot of times though, because there's fighting is almost so applicable as a comparison to life, right? You have to fight for what you want. And, um, you read about certain, certain fighters that when they enter the game, if it comes too easy, too quickly, and a lot of managers and, and boxing coaches will tell you this, if it's coming too easy, too quickly, and you see it's in the strength sports where you hop in there, you're genetically gifted, and you're just, you know, those stories, well, three years in, and he's at the world championships, or she's at the world championships, or the world's strongest man, or whatever it is. But when you eventually, figuratively, in other sports or life, or literally in the fight game, you are going to get hit. You're going to get chin-checked. It's going to hit hard. And the individual like yourself, who got chin checked nice and early and had to have those gut check talks, had to have that, those conversations in your room, close the door and be like, what the, is this it? Like, am I, am yeah. I kidding myself? Is this, is this just, this is it? What is it? it, it like you, you could down talk. It's easy to, I had a, I had a world champion, Jennifer Milliken was on here and she said, you know, for the longest time in my life, I down talked myself. And then I read a book and it basically said to summarize it, if you could take all the things you said about yourself, put it on a cape and wore it outside, would you be embarrassed that people, that you talked about yourself like that? How would that make Love you that. feel? If people saw what you said about yourself, would you be, would people look at you and be like, how the fuck would you say that to yourself? Why would you yeah. say that about yourself? Yeah, and I think, I think a lot of what people need to realize is there has to be an underlying, underlying like why. Why are you doing this? Um, is it for the gratification and the trophy? Um, because the chances of you being super successful, just wanting to win stuff is pretty slim. You know, the, the, that light burns out pretty quick. Mm. So I think, you know, you look at some athletes, like you said, that are really gifted. And when it comes to strength sports, you know, a guy that comes to mind, who I love and adore, and I think is an amazing athlete is Larry wheels. You know, he made this transition into strongman really quickly, really quickly. And he's a strong SOB and he can do a lot of really impressive shit, but to compete at this level, you need to have, you know, we talk about like training age. Um, you need to have some experience, you know, and there's a lot of correlation between powerlifting and strongman. There is, but when it comes down to it and you're lifting these strongman implements, you need to have experience to lift the kind of weights that we're doing. You could be strong enough for sure, um, which obviously Larry is, but you look at him training for the contest Giants Live Wembley last year, was doing a stone run, trying to be at contest weight, and he tears his bicep. And it's not because he's not strong enough. It's because he didn't have the training age and the experience to be competing at this level with those kind of weights. You know, I think you give him a log press event, you give him a deadlift event, he's going to tear it up. You know, obviously, the guy can press a 200-kilo log his first contest. That's yeah. stupid impressive. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, um, and my hat goes off to him because he works his ass off. But I think, you know, if he were to step back and really train for a couple of years in strongman, he would be a top five contender at World's Strongest Man. 
That's There's no saying. doubt in my mind he would be. Really? You know, I mean, yeah, absolutely. If he if he took a step back and really focused on training strongman and getting comfortable with the implements and really getting to know them, um, I think he would be top five in the world in a couple of years. Um, That's insane to think. He, he's done bodybuilding, powerlifting, strongman. He actually, you know, you're right. He's probably this stereotypical uh, just guy who who be everyone else would normally hate. He's body yeah. down, six foot. Like he's yeah, he's like a perfect specimen. Who life must be tough, eh? He just yeah. right. you know he can you do know. whatever. But I think, you know, strongman is just such a different sport. You know, we're lifting these awkward implements and, you know, it takes a combination of, you know, that muscular and tendinous strength. You have to have conditioning. You have to have mental fortitude to be able to just dig down and just eat shit for 60 to 75 seconds of nonstop work. Um, it takes time. And no matter how strong you are on a barbell, you're not going to get that quickly. And, um, you know, like I said, and whoever's watching this, please do not think that I'm hating on Larry. You know, I've met him. I've competed against him. I think he's awesome. I have a shit ton of respect for him. Um, I just think, you know, if he were, if he really wants to do strongman um, and really be successful at it, it's going to take some more time. And that's, just so he doesn't get hurt, you know, and, and that's mm. the thing is, you know, I love all of these guys that I compete with. They, it's been my life for a long time. They're my best friends and I care about everybody. And the last thing we want to do is that, that we want as athletes is to see somebody else get hurt. Because when it comes down to it, when I win a show, I want to beat everybody else when they're at their best, you know, cause then I know it's a real win. Um, you know, so I think it just comes down to, you know, taking that time. And I, you know, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I've been decently successful at this level is because it did take me eight years of competing in strongman to get to world's strongest man. It's the only way you've ever accomplished. If, if you walk into things and things are coming pretty easy, most of the time it's when you hit some stumbling blocks, or even if you see someone else on the side of the room and they're working their ass off on the same mundane thing, and they're just taking the smallest little victories, the smallest little, oh, wow, that rep moved pretty smooth. Oh, wow, man, I, got, I think I got a little bit better on that stone. I felt it. But if all, when you started ever had with small victories, fuck, I didn't come in last. Or I didn't, I came in last, but it was, a, it was close. You're conditioned for that. You're like, no, I'll be in the corner. Thank you. I'm good with that. Whereas someone else who he's been consistently killing it is like, this is mind numbing. I, I'm having difficulty yeah. I'm getting frustrated and I don't have the patience to be putting in quite like that. You know, I think the funny, you know, talking about this, you know, when I, I won the log press world championships in 2016 and I was, I was a last minute invite. Um, the whole reason I got to that show was I remember seeing Savickas training for it on Instagram and I messaged Dion, uh, Dion masters who owns strongman corporation. And I was like, Hey, do we have anybody from the U S going to this contest? Um, so she was like, Oh, I don't know. Let me check. So she texted Sadrunas and was, Turns out there wasn't. And with about three weeks notice, I ended up booking a flight to Lithuania. Um, and I was like, yeah, screw it. I'll compete. We'll see what happens. Um, and I'm going against him. I'm going against Vitotis Lalis, Dimitar Sabatinov, um, Vitas Blakaitis, like these massive log pressers. And here's little Rob Kearney at 24 years old, you know, uh, <laughs> with... You know, I think I weighed, I weighed 246 at that contest. Oh I was still competing. God. I was tiny. I remember I showed up and the promoter was like, you're the American. 
<laughs> they thought you were you're the driver. They're like, Where, where's, the yeah. guy, where's the athlete? Where's the guy you're driving? Um, and I remember, I remember just like laughing my ass off because the smallest size shirt they bought was 3XL. Uh, so it was like down to my knees, down like past my elbows. I look like, you know, the awkward like six year old <laughs> that's wearing their dad's t-shirt at the pool. Um, <laughs> so I'll never forget, you know, the contest is going on and you know, me and Joey are there just having a good time. And again, I had that mindset. I was like, oh, you know, it's my first international show. Let me just have fun, see what happens. And I remember I hit, I hit 202 and a half kilos, so like 445. And um, I was super pumped. That was a 25 pound PR for me. I, you know, was like, to me, that was a victory. I was like, I honestly, I had no idea what the hell anybody else was lifting. I wasn't paying attention to them. I was just seeing what I could do. <laughs> And um, so I hit the 202.5, I'm sitting down, Dimitar goes up and he misses and then you know, some, some other stuff happens. Dimitar's walking over and he looks at me and goes, congratulations, one. I was like, what? I was like, no, I didn't. Like, I had no idea. Um, so, and Joey looks at me, so that, it was at that moment. Um, you know, Joey had no idea what Strongman was before we met. And um, he looked at me in that moment and he looks at me and he goes, so I guess you're kind of good at this thing, huh? <laughs> I was like, we're two years into our relationship. I take second place at America's Strongest Man twice. But it's this moment that he realizes that I can be good at this. Um, you yeah, know, like so you hitched I, your wagon up to the right horse, my friend. <laughs> Boy, did you get lucky. You didn't know. Right? Well, to be honest, neither did I. You know, well, I, that's true. That's I didn't fair. think I was going to be winning that show. That's um, for me, I was just going to be having a good time and see what I could do. And I ended up winning the contest without realizing it. Do you think, was that easier not knowing you're pressing for the win and, and all the, everything going into it? Cause like, I don't know if sometimes it, it's funny. Okay. Humans are funny. There's a reason why fight or flight kicks into a deer that is going to run for its life. And that deer will run faster, jump higher. It's a beautiful thing. What adrenaline could do. And the same thing for humans. When, when the moments there, sometimes you're like, I don't know if I'm going to have it. You show up that day and when you need it, when you need it the most and you get caught, everyone at some point in their life gets caught in a fucking moment. And you're like, this is, no, it, it, it is going to happen today. And you know, what do you think? At that contest, it was weird. You know, so I opened up at 180 kilos and I hit it. Then I jumped up 10 kilos to 190, which is like 418, which is pretty close to my, you know, at that point, my, my best was 425. And um, I missed my first attempt. And you get 60 seconds to hit or miss. Um, so I missed it. I put it down, looked at the clock. I still had about 20 seconds left. I clean it and then I hit it again. So I hit the 190 and we got four attempts at this show. So my next attempt was 195 and I hit that. And from there, I knew I was near the top, but I didn't know, I didn't know what other people were doing. Um, I knew that other guys had missed and, you know, it was kind of really blurry to me. So I was like, I heard one other athlete go 202. 0.5. So I was like, all right, I'll just do the same. Um, not realizing that that athlete was the other first place contender. So, um, you know, He's so I, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think honestly, had I known that it was all on the line, I probably would have fucked it up and not hit the weight. <laughs> really? Ignorance like, is bliss at that point, you know? That's right. That's right. True. Fair enough. Um, and in terms of all your strong main accomplishments so far, what do you think so far, I mean, you're still in your, man, you got a lot to go, but what's probably the one moment, what's, what's probably the proudest moment 
And what's probably the one moment, it doesn't even have to be competing. It could be whatever it is that you looked around, you're like, holy shit, I can't believe this is my life right now. Where you might, maybe you just walk up and you're in an event with all these fans and you're like, you ever have a moment of reality where this is surreal? I should, this is, this is a simulation. I shouldn't be here. What is going on? That moment was the first year I competed at the Log Press World Challenge in Leeds, England uh, in 2018. I stepped out in front of a crowd of 15,000 people um, on stage about to do a log lift and looking up, it was just a sea and a wall of people as far as I could find, as far as I could see. Um, and I did my first lift and I came back and I was like, holy shit. You know, I like, I, I was completely mind blown, you know, like I, I didn't like, yeah, it was that, it was that moment that like, I didn't realize, I didn't think that I'd be doing this. I didn't know I could do this. Um, and, you know, I think for me, the most, the proudest moment um, was, it has to be winning the Arnold Australia. I mean, that entire weekend for me is going to go down as the most memorable weekend of my life. Um, you know, I, you know, won the competition on Saturday night and when I'm on stage with Arnold, you know, announced to the world that my husband and I are getting married the next day. Oh, um, wow. Damn. That's yeah, a movie we, right there. We had, we had planned an elopement um, and really kept it secret to everybody. Um, you know, next thing I know after the wedding, Arnold was FaceTiming me to celebrate with my husband and I. So we went out on a yacht that night and he took us out to dinner and, um, you know, really just celebrated us, you know, celebrated the win for the competition, but then also the wedding of my husband and I, and, you know, it was by far the most special weekend and moment of my life. And, uh, you know, the best part about that is we were walking back from dinner, uh, Joey and I, and Joey looks at me and he goes, so it's probably like all downhill from here. I was just going to say, <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> There's nowhere to go from there. There's you know, nowhere to go. I win the competition. We get married. Then Arnold <laughs> yeah. is celebrating with us. You, so you, like, that's, you, that's about you it. You literally wrapped it all up. They're like, that's the peak. Now. That's the peak. <laughs> but it is, uh, yeah, holy smokes, man. Um, well, another one. Okay. So you were the second guest I got in common um, with Joe Rogan. Uh, Lane Norton be the other. How crazy oh, cool. was yeah. that? How crazy it was, was awesome. That? You know, so that that all happened pretty matter of factly. Uh, so world's strongest man last year, um, we were on set and right after my log press event, Joey came up, you know, because I realized I had just missed winning my heat qualifying group by one point. Um, I lost to Thor. Um, and I knew I had to go to the Stone Over Bar event against my best friend Luke Stoltman. And Joey came up to me, gave me this big kiss and was like, all right, you know, we got to get ready now. And the, one of the stage managers of World Strongest Man saw that and came up to me and was like, we need to make a documentary about you. Um, so her and I have been in touch and we, you know, we're trying to get this documentary off the ground, but we really didn't know how to, cause it cost a shit ton of money to make a movie. And, um, Joe had started following me after Arnold had posted about Joey and I on Instagram when we got married. So one night I was like, I was talking to the director. We're trying to figure out ways to come up with money. And I was like, well, you know, Joe Rogan follows me on Instagram. Let me shoot him a message and see if I can go on his show and see if that'll work. <laughs> Tyler's was like, shooting your shot. Yeah. Well, I was like, all right, what's the worst that's going to happen? He's going to leave me on red and ignore me and think I'm a fucking weirdo or he's going to, so, you know, three, three scenarios. He leaves me on red. He says no, or he says yes, whatever. Um, I was already going out to LA to compete at the Arnold Santa Monica. So I was like, I'm already going to be there. 
So I'll see if I can plan it for that weekend. So I write up this message saying, hey, you know, I'm going to be in LA, wondering if I could come on the show, just, you know, seeing whatever, completely not expecting a response. 10 minutes later, my phone lights up. Rogan says, yeah, dude, let's do it. Oh my God. Like, well, that was fucking easy. Um, <laughs> it was that easy. Yeah, yeah like it was literally that easy. So, but then it got kind of sketchy because I didn't hear from him whatsoever. And I'm out in LA competing and like I had changed my flights and everything because he told me a day that it, that it would happen. But I didn't have a time or a location. So I was like, well, maybe it's not happening. I'm just spending an extra two days in LA. Um, and the day before the, the, the show, uh, he shot me a message with the time, with like where I was going to have to be and what time and everything. Um, and it was really cool. You know, we, uh, I didn't get to like hang out with him too much because he's a freaking workhorse and he just, he records like two to three episodes a day. Yeah. And he was you know, in the studio when I got there, he comes into the green room after that episode. We're sitting there having coffee, talking and stuff like that. He gets up and he's like, all right, let's go talk about some gay shit. And we go into the studio and record the show. Um, you know, like almost a two hour episode. And it was just so cool. He's, you know, the, the way the podcast is set up is a lot like this. It's conversational. It's not Q and A. Um, you know, and I think the coolest thing about him is like, he has a genuine interest in all of his guests. Um, you know, he was very supportive. Um, you know, we still, you know, he still likes my shit on Instagram, which is cool. Um, so, so it's pretty cool to like have that, uh, you know, kind of on my resume. Well, for, for sure. It's the thing with Joe Rogan and like I, in previous history, it would be like the Sullivan show when the Beatles came over from the U from the UK and they had to play the Sullivan show. And it was like massive. Um, it's a history note for television period, or, you know, we're later on Johnny Carson, David Letterman, Jay Leno to, you know, the Kimball's to Rogan. Now the late night talk show is dead. Their numbers are done, but Rogan podcasting his YouTube, his audio, he is by far the largest platform in the world that you're going to come on today. Period. He is our Ed Sullivan, our Johnny Carson, yeah. whatever. When this is going on, the fact that you shot him a message and then you look and it says Joe Rogan and there's a notif there's a push notification, Joe Rogan, where you like, like, this is a fucking, this is again, this is a simulation. This shouldn't be happening. What's going on? Yeah. Right now? You, you know, I mean, for me, it's kind of like, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to sound douchey, but like, I don't get excited about people. You know, I think to me, it's like you and me put our pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. Um, and to me, it's like, Joe's just another dude. Yeah, he has a, the biggest platform in the world. And I knew that it would do things to my career that I didn't think would ever happen. And it certainly did that. Um, you know, but for me, it was just really another opportunity to, to have my message spread across a different audience. You know, I, he has such an eclectic group of people that listen to his show from men, women, liberal, conservative you know, gay, straight, you name it, people, everybody's listening to Rogan. And if they're not, they know about it. Right. Um, so I think for me, it was, it, it was a really cool opportunity for me to kind of spread my message, um, help grow the popularity of strongman in general, and um, really just have a good time talking to somebody cool. Did you, I, I, I like that it is true. Look, end of the day, every single person you know, 
feels the same feels you feel throughout your day, throughout your, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you, if 30 million drops into your bank account, you're going to wake up the next day and be like, what now? You're going to fill your day with something. Yep. You're going to have fears. You're going to have the whole night. It doesn't stop. So I know what you mean. Um, is there, was there anyone that was, that you met that you got a little bit like, holy shit, or just, um, no? you know, for me, the first time I met Poundstone was like that. Really? Um, when I was 16, 17 years old, you know, super young, just getting into the sport. I was like, holy shit, that's Derek Poundstone. Um, and also the first time I met Arnold, you know, I mean, dude, if you did say that, I'd be like, come on, man, it's Arnold for God. He's yeah, got, he's, he's got, Arnold. he's got festivals named after him, statues. He's like, he was a, he's like a pharaoh of this day yeah. and age. You know, and now, now it's crazy to think I'm on a first name basis with the dude. That's insane. You know, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's wild. It is um, crazy. Yeah, you know, but like, you know, it's, yeah, you know, like I had that oh shit moment initially, but now it's like, all right, like he's just another person, you know, and it's like, I, I, I think the weirdest thing for me is I'm that person for people now. I was about to bring it there, but you go ahead. I was about to say, is it weird? The more you do this, look at, you are, you're like the fact that you're the underdog in sports, people love an underdog my friend, and you haven't had a comeback yet, if you ever get like a, an injury that sidelines you for, like, you know, now that you are where you are, there's nothing better than an underdog story, Rocky initially, and then we had to come back later, okay? I'm not, I'm not writing your story yet, but I swear to God, you're gonna have a Netflix special if this happens. And then on top of that, everything else, like you're just, like your life is surreal right now. And yeah. you are going to be that guy. You know, it, it's, it's crazy to me, right? Like, you know, I get people that are like virtually in tears when they come to meet and greets because they get to take a picture with me. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm not fucking anything special. Like, <laughs> like um, you know, but then the, for me, what really is the cool part is, you know, the impact that I'm having, you know, in the strength world, but also on the LGBTQ plus side of things, you know, I deal with a lot of hate and shit on a daily basis. Do um, you really? I want to talk about that. Every so, single day, man. Still, so is yeah. it like, yeah, let's talk about it. So you came out in 2014 and um, how, when you made that decision, like leading up to, I'm sure with a sport as, you know, the sports you're chosen, you probably heard a lot of shit from people who, I don't know if they were doing it mean-spirited or whatever, but would have had no idea it was you they're insulting or whoever else they might be insulting. And then when yeah, you, you know, I, w you know, I was in the closet for a long time. I, I lived that quote unquote heterosexual life for a long time. You know, I dated a girl for a while and, um, really wasn't happy. You know, I was outwardly, I was happy, right. You know, like I would wake up every day and put on this facade of being happy and, and living this life that I did not want and ended that relationship and started really kind of figuring out my sexuality and coming to terms with it, I think was the biggest thing. It was, I had put it on the back burner for so long and it hadn't really accepted the fact that I was gay. And I met Joey the summer of 2014. He had already been out since he was 17 years old. Um, and a few weeks after him and I like officially started dating is when I came out. And I was at the point in my life where I was 22 years old. I was in graduate school. And for me, it was my happiness is important than any other relationship I have in my life. So if you don't like it, you can go fuck off. And that's when I came out and I didn't think anything of it initially. Um, and I got a text message from a friend of mine at the time. And he said, dude, you know, you're the first openly gay professional strongman 
ever. Um, you know, people need to know about this. And I was like, all right, whatever. So he wrote an article about it and, you know, virtually overnight it went viral. Um, you know, next thing you know, my email's blowing up with Huffington Post, TMZ, Conan talked about me. Um, you know, there are thousands of articles out there about me coming out. And I didn't expect that. <laughs> um, I didn't think that would be the case. And, you know, it kind of put me on the spot pretty quickly. And fortunately, the sport of strongman, and I think most strength sports in general, athletes that compete in the sport, you know, it's a brotherhood. You know, we, we know the shit that we go through to get to this level and the hard work that it takes. So by the end of the day, anybody at the level of the sport that I was competing at, they didn't care. Um, for me, it was, you know, for them, it was like, all right, as long as you still show up and compete, it doesn't change anything. And that's exactly how it was. Uh, it's people on the outside of the sport looking in that, that I get the shit from. And, you know, it's, it's a post that I just put up the other day where, you know, I put a picture of me kissing my husband on the cheek and I lost over 400 followers from that one post. Well, it's um, bizarre. They're following your Instagram. The world's world strongest, strongest gay. gay. What are you expecting yeah. here? Did they, did Not they hiding your... anything. <laughs> I didn't pull you a switcheroo on you. Like, no, I didn't come no. here for this. <laughs> right? um, you know, so, and, you know, like I said, man, I, I still get comments on posts and messages literally on a daily basis of people telling me I should die, that I shouldn't be doing this stuff, that I'm disgusting, that I, you know, it's against God, all that religious bullshit. Um, you know, it, it happens all the time. But, you know, I, I read every single message that I get. I don't respond to most of them, um, but I, I read virtually every message um, and every comment that's on every single one of my posts. And to me, the ones that matter are the closeted teen that's suicidal, mm. that almost committed suicide until they found my page and realized that gay men can be strong and can be open about their relationships and still be successful in life. The messages that matter to me are the ones from the parents that didn't know how to deal with their LGBTQ child, but now that they see that their child can have a successful life and an amazing relationship, that makes them excited for their kid now. Those are the messages that mean more than anything to me. I will take one of those messages over a thousand of the other ones any every single day um and that's what's going to keep that's what's going to keep me doing what i'm doing right now um because those things matter you know i mean i have talked to countless teenagers that are living in households that they don't feel supported by their family um i've gotten messages from teens that like i said that literally are on the verge of committing suicide because they don't know how to handle their emotions they don't think their life is worth living because of their sexuality or they know that they're going to be turned away by their family um i deal with that stuff as well and i think you know it's a burden i'm more than happy to bear because i know that i'm having a positive impact on so many lives at the end of the day just by showing who I am, you know, I don't think I'm doing anything special by posting a picture of me and my husband being happy. Um, but the fact that people can look at that and say, this dude is one of the strongest men in the world competing in arguably the most hyper-masculine sport in the world. Mm. And it's an openly gay man doing it well and has an amazing relationship with his husband. Um, you know, it gives a lot of people hope. And that's why, you know, I'm going to continue to post pictures of, you know, me and my husband kissing. And then the next day I'll post a video of me deadlifting 900 pounds. It's like, it's not even, it is for obviously that community, but also for everybody. Like I remember um, I was doing a charity event and I was pulling a bus and I was trying to tell these people, um, every, not everybody's pulling a bus, but 
everybody's got a bust in their life they got they got to deal with something big scary etc and you got to take it inch by inch it's going to be overwhelming if you overly picture it and you get anxious when the days come etc and it's the same thing we're like you know i when i listen to your story i draw inspiration from it because how brave and how bold and like you want to be that guy it's like um again because i read a lot about these these boxers mike tyson said he goes look at when i was growing up my favorite fighter was Roberto Duran, who was a lightweight champion uh, from Panama. And I'm like the heavyweight champion from, from, you know, Brooklyn. So he's like, and I, he's like, I don't look like Duran. I wouldn't fight like Duran. I wouldn't, I don't got that. But there's something about it that gave me strength. And he's like, when I walked around, I just, when I faced something, I was like, what would Duran, he's, Duran's so strong. He's so brave. And you just draw inspiration. It's the human element. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be apples to apples. But when you see someone be brave in, in, in anything in life to be like, fuck it, why are you worrying so much about these other people? Why are you putting your happiness in someone else's? It, everyone can relate to that to a million different reasons and a million different things. It, it, it's important that you're doing what you're doing. Add to that on top of it, that you're a five foot 10 strong man <laughs> and the whole nine, it, it makes you, when you complain or when you feel daunted, it is inspiration. Like, man, I gotta get my head on straight, man. You know, sure. No, absolutely. It helps. Big but it's exciting at the same time, you know, like knowing what I'm doing, you know, positivity, in the LGBTQ community, and then also, you know, inspiring, you know, undersized strongman athletes to reach for the stars and try to get to the top level. Um, you know, like I said before, that's, that's the legacy I want to leave, man. It, it's one of inspiration and positivity and love. That's really what matters to me at the end of the day. And if you got people who, cause I remember reposting and people who say like, you shouldn't, overly push you're the world's strongest gay because it's it shouldn't be i get it where it shouldn't be a a, a label you have to carry like that's not that's not just well he's a gay man yeah he's a gay man yeah. but he's a he's a man he's a human it's not why you do we have what? to have but that until the stereotype of what people think gay is goes away then it does need to be a thing you know because i still get people saying well you can't be gay you're a strong man or how can you be a strong man if you're gay well, well, motherfucker, I'm both. Yeah. I'm pretty damn good at both of them, too. <laughs> I'm good at both of them. <laughs> I like it. Nicely done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it is true. Like, as long as, look, and I think for some people, they just don't want to hear it. It's the same people when, when they see Black Lives Matter, they say all lives matter. It's the yeah. same people where it's like, you, maybe you're not there in life, but there's something that, there's got to be, everyone's got something where it's like, you need some support and you think you're alone in this and you need like that beacon of light. You're out there in the ocean, you feel lonely and isolated, but there's a fucking beacon you see. And you just follow that light, man. And sometimes exactly. you make a post, you make a post and it's like, okay, all right. You That's know, I'm it. not alone out here. It's yep. not quite as lonely, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it, means, it means something. <clears throat> what are some of your future goals? Uh, now in terms of strongman and period, in terms of moving your platform, that you want to hit, that you want to take down? You know, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, I mentioned like, you know, my media goals in Strongman is top five at the Arnold and top 10 are World's Strongest Man. And those aren't going to change anytime soon until I achieve those. Um, you know, I think I, I think I am podium material at both of those shows though within the next five years. Um, I don't see it being too far off me being on the podium of, of either of those shows. Um, and that's, you know, the ultimate goal. And then, you know, when it comes to life, it, it really is just, um, 
kind of what I'm doing now, man, just being a really positive role model for LGBTQ youth and other individuals of the community to empower them to enter the world of strength sports. Because on the outside looking at it, it's, it's intimidating as fuck, um, you know, to look outside of a, of a strongman gym and seeing all these big burly dudes listening to heavy metal or hard ass rap, uh, lifting these massive Atlas stones and all this stuff. Uh, but when you get inside and you realize it's, it's a community of loving people that really just have the same common goal of just fitness and getting stronger. And um, that's what I really want to do is really just open up the doors to other LGBTQ people into the world of strength sports and just showing them that it's not as intimidating as it looks from the outside. Do you do public speaking at events and, and whatnot? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay. And how would anybody listening to this get a hold of you if they want to book you? Um, so I have an agent um, and all that stuff is listed on my social media and you know, you can go through her. Her name is Kim Zayati of Blue Sky Entertainment. Um, you know, they, they are kind of like handling all that stuff for me. You know, it's, it's kind of nice to think that I've gotten big enough where I need an agent at this point. That's um, amazing, really right? Cool. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, so she's the one that kind of books all my public speaking gigs, seminars and all that stuff. You know, I do, um, you know, strongman seminars and then also public speaking for, you know, pretty much any range of people, whether it is uh, high schools, colleges, universities, I've done corporations, stuff like that, um, you know, really can mold my story and, and my message to anybody. I 100% believe it. I mean, it's applicable. That's the beautiful thing about sports. Um, you know, a lot of times you could take a good sports story, the underdog, whatever it might be, and apply it to everything in life. And business people love to do that. But kids listen to that as well. Like how many people look up to athletes? And your story, man, it's, it's phenomenal on so many different levels. And you're a good speaker <laughs> too. You. you know, you're a good speaker it. too. There's another stereotype you break down. Sometimes you have people on and, you know, big strong guy you get a strong man on it's like well how good is he going to speak and be able to articulate where he's coming from and express these moments when you're coming in with a story and you want to tell this is how i felt when this was happening sometimes it gets yeah. lost in translation where it's totally. like well, you know where it, it is a gift there was um corporate there's ceos of corporations who all the skills they got they would rather pay someone else to come in there and talk to their own company and when they did a poll of you know the 10 things people fear the most Death was number two and public speaking was number one. So if you got that skill, my friend, you're gonna make a few dollars. So <laughs> I'm good with that. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. <laughs> Listen, I appreciate your time, my friend. Is there anybody that you wanna thank before we let you go? Um, you know, to me, it's, you know, it's pretty simple. It's, you know, I, I really have to thank my husband for everything he's done. He's been my biggest cheerleader uh, ever since I got into this sport and really has given up so much of his time. And, you know, he comes to me, comes with me to virtually every competition that I compete in. Um, he, you know, he calls me out when I, when I kind of, you know, sack it on training a little bit, um, you know, and he, he wants, he, he sets the bar really high for me. And I think a big reason why I've achieved this level of success is because of him, um, you know, and then, Gym members, uh, you know, the owner of my gym, Lightning Fitness, Matt Mills, he, you know, owns one of the best training facilities in the Northeast, uh, and it really is just an amazing facility, and he's give, he's been one of my closest friends for the past 11 years, uh, and then, you know, obviously my coach, Derek Poundstone, for, you know, it's pretty surreal that the person that you've looked up to for so long is now your fan and gets excited for you when you, when you lift, uh, you know, that it's a really, really cool moment to be able to have that. They say, I mean, everyone's heard this before, but you don't want to meet your heroes, and because um, it can only let you down like and it's so refreshing when you meet somebody and they live up and, and more than just live up and it's like holy yeah. smokes it's that's, that's what awesome. you want 
That's what you want. That's what something where whenever you carry yourself, you're hoping and you're going to run into this for sure. Being in your situation where people are looking up to you when you're walking around and someone approaches you, whatever you're feeling, you're like, you know what, fuck for this person. Like for me, it's just, you're, you're in my way and I got a lot of shit in my mind about to go compete or whatever it might be for that person. It's, Oh my God, this is amazing. I've, I've been waiting so long to get a hold of this guy. I want a picture. You know, it's hard. You got to keep that. Uh, but uh, you sound like you got your head in your shoulders. So anyways, listen, thank you very much, man. Muchly appreciated. Um, Thanks, dude. We'll, we'll be watching. We'll keep posting. We'll keep in touch. Good luck with training, my friend. I appreciate it, brother. See you, buddy. Have a good one.